0: Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters, where we talk all things property and a bit of everything today. It's spread around the place in terms of residential property, we'll look at the uh, the council spending in Palmerston North on social housing, things like the general market and what's predicted by various economists, banks etc, and then we'll go on to talk about a few landlord and tenant matters that have been in the news in the last week or so, so it's lovely to have your company. Just to get into things from the local side of things to do with Palmerston North, the City Council doubles its spending on Palmerston North social housing, this article by Janine Rankin. So Palmer's North's supply of social housing could be in for a substantial boost, with the City Council likely to double its budget for building new homes. The Committee of Council meeting on Wednesday increased the amount set aside for social housing from the $7 million in its draft long-term plan to $14 million. The move has delighted community and housing advocacy groups, which have lobbied the Council to do more to help solve the City's housing crisis. The council has exceeded our expectations, said two Tenants Union spokesman Ben Schmidt. We are overjoyed with their decision. Ben says that we asked them to go further and they've certainly done that. So Palmer's North Community Services Council General Manager Emma Oche said... The boost showed the council was taking the housing crisis seriously, and this is really good to see. Uh, Listeners of the show for some time would have heard me on a number of occasions saying we simply need more properties, as many as we can. So she went on to say that the desperate need was apparent to community workers every day with people living in cars and running out of accommodation options. Housing Advice Centre Coordinator Sally Babbage said the housing crisis would only get worse as a wave of people from the baby boomer generation retired without owning their own homes and they would struggle to pay rents on fixed incomes. She says there are a range of reasons why older people end up in housing poverty and it is difficult to get back into housing once it is lost. It's an incredibly difficult space for people. So as we know the prices as they move up so quickly very hard to get on with things. The council move was led by Labour councillor Lorna Johnson and Green councillor Renee Dingwall. Johnson said the council received 33 submissions in support of its commitment to social housing, many of them representing large member groups. She, She said there were more than 400 people on the council's waiting list for housing and there was not much turnover among the 407 units it already provided. Its recent experience with the rebuild of Papeoia Place housing complex had achieved 51 units for $7.6 million, but they admit they're unlikely to repeat that. And that area is looking fantastic, and what a great community they have built down there. So they need to be able to do something significant, and that's what they're saying with regards to the budget. Johnson says that they want to ensure they have enough budget to do something significant, the budget would be available in three years' time to be spent over three years. It would also enable the council to respond if former Bowling Greens and Summer Hayes Street were cleared for housing or for any other opportunities that arose when the land came available. Councillor Brent Barrett said it was a bold proposal to resolve a crisis. It was opposed by some, however, uh, has got passed. So um, some people would rather that that money is spent elsewhere, but that is such as the case in a democracy. In terms of my thoughts, uh, that again, the more properties, the better, which will really help the supply and demand issues in this region. There was an article recently, and this is actually a follow-up article, to a lady whose home is sinking. So five years ago, Barbara Hardwich noticed her garage door was warped and since then things have only got worse. But an outpouring of assistance has provided a glimmer of hope uh, for a Taranaki pensioner left feeling helpless as her home sinks beneath her. Uh, So this is a follow-up saying how nice people have been with regards um, donating and removing some of that stress. So like I said, it is a follow-up article. Engineering and environmental consultancy Tonkin & Taylor were quick to reach out to the 72-year-old widow after reading the earlier articles about the subsidence issues on her property in Mangore Road, New Plymouth. The company has offered to provide Hardwidge with expert advice to allow her a safer and happier life, ground settlement and foundation specialist Nick Rogers said. So we understand the terrible predicament Barbara has found herself in, it's vital that people feel safe and secure in their homes. There's also a crowdfunding campaign on Give A Little. So every dollar goes towards the house, whether it's repairs, reports or lawyer's fees. So when she bought the home, it was built in 1990. And she bought it, uh, sorry, the home was built in 1990. She bought it in 2006 for 219000 So five years ago, she noticed the garage door had warped. And since then, things have worsened. The subsidence has caused the floor to noticeably descend and has to put cardboard under her furniture to level it out. The doors and window frames are twisted, resulting in some doors not closing properly and some windows not opening. The walls are out of level, with some lifting and creating gaps. Outside, the house is covered in cracks and the back section is on an obvious tilt. The foundation floor slab was visible in areas as well as the underside of the floor slab, slab that were exposed forwards of up to 400 millimetres. Quite incredible, really. So an engineering report said the site had been used as an old sawdust dump and had been overlaid with volcanic ash fill. New Plymouth District Council had given consent to build the house, which it had earlier declined due to the site's poor ground. No other homeowners in the area have complained of experiencing the same issue. So it's really interesting. It just shows that when you are looking at purchasing a property, um, really getting the bottom of the information can be quite good. And something of this uh, standard would be picked up by what they call a LIM report, a land information memorandum, which shows anything relating to the property that could be of a potential stumbling block for people wanting to buy. So if you are trying to buy a house, try and get a, a LIM report, or in some areas they go by slightly different names, to ensure that what you're buying is not only sound, but also that all the factors around it, such as the land, air, noise, and so forth, are taken into account. I mentioned I'll talk a little bit about the market, so here goes. As of uh, June the 10th, in this article by Melanie Carroll, she says, "No, No house price fall in sight, ASB says, in the quarterly economic forecast. So... The Government announced in March it was extending the Brightline test, reducing tax deductions on property investments and would step up investment in communal infrastructure to support housing developments. The New Zealand house prices are unlikely to fall in the next year or so, but price growth will slow, ASB says in its quarterly economic predictions released on Friday. After a 27% gain in the past year, house prices were expected to notch up a gain of 10% by the end of this year and 5% by the end of 2022, said ASB Chief Economist Nick Tuffley. So he says that we think house prices will finish 2021 up about 10%. And that's mainly because of all the strong growth we saw in the first few months of the year. And we're expecting prices to be relatively flat, for much of the rest of this year, and then just start growing again at about a 5% pace after that. If anything, the market was expected to perform better than anticipated, with even investor interest holding up to a fair degree, he said. So just to comment on this article, just by way of reminder, this is a national article, and they're looking at national statistics. Some areas of New Zealand may be slightly different. What All that they're saying here is it's going to The amount of growth is going to slow somewhat. Um, Certainly they don't see a situation in the next couple of years where prices will be coming down. From that you could infer that now is a good time to buy, uh, considering that uh, there isn't going to be a drop. And If you're waiting for prices to drop, uh, the prices will keep going up and you may get less and less house for your money. So low mortgage rates and lack of supply have fueled a record-breaking streak for the property market since the COVID-19 pandemic. So that's we'll just have to see where, where that goes. And In March, when Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern said that there's going to be uh, this this package that we mentioned earlier, they had expected things to slow down, but it just doesn't seem to be the case. There and so Toughly from ASB says... There doesn't seem to have been a wholesale collapse in investor interest entering into the market, which is one of the unknowns in the face of the announcement the government made back in March. And again, I predicted this, that it wouldn't have any or, or much effect because most people buying investment properties have enough equity to do so and even with the inability to claim, on the, claim the tax on interest mortgage repayments or mortgage interest repayments, I should say, then uh, it still works out as a pretty good return. He goes on to say that we still have very, very low interest rates for the time being and in a number of parts of the country, particularly Auckland and Wellington, there just haven't been enough homes built. And We're having a similar situation here in Manawatu. So many people coming here and housing construction demand is at a record high and the construction sector is struggling to keep up. Another thing that came about recently, of course, is that there's supply chain distribution and they comment about this in this article that the global supply chain distribution would carry on through 2021. Some container ships were reportedly bypassing New Zealand because of its isolation, which was further hampering the supply of goods. So what's going to happen is uh, prices will go up somewhat. Uh, It goes both ways though with the the dairy prices uh, here for milk solids going up, which is great for our local economy as well. So we'll just have to see where where things go from there, but let's have a look at this other article by Miriam Bell from Radio New Zealand. It says that New Zealand ranks number two in terms of international house price growth. So in November, Jacinda Ardern said, it just cannot keep increasing at the rate that it is when asked about rising house prices. However, the house price growth in New Zealand is running at the second fastest rate in the world, an international property consultancy says. So the Knight Frank Global House Price Index shows that in the first quarter of this year, house prices globally were up 7.3% in the year to March 2021, New Zealand hit 22.1%. That was the fastest rate of increase recorded since the last months of 2006 and reflected the runaway market growth seen in many countries. Turkey had the fastest house price increases for the fifth consecutive year with 32% growth. But Knight Frank researcher Kate Everett-Allen said if inflation was stripped out, Turkey's real prices rose by around 16% over the year. Also in the top 10 were the United States at 13%, Sweden at 13%, Austria at 123 and Norway at 109 Canada was 10.8 and Australia 8.3. So we're certainly outperforming our friends from across the Tasman in terms of house price growth. The authorities around the world are already starting to take action with cooling measures being introduced in a number of markets including China, New Zealand, Ireland and Canada. In New Zealand, the Reserve Bank reinstated loan-to-value ratios earlier this year. So it's going to be interesting to see where that goes and what happens. It's it's a it's an unusual situation. However, uh, I know that in New Zealand's case, it's just simply a supply versus demand problem. So QV came out around about the same time or a couple of days earlier saying that property values rise again in May but at a slower pace. So that partly correlates with what we were just talking about. But uh The growth in property values has slowed over the last three months, over the last quarter, for the first time since last July, according to the QV House Price Index. So the national average value rose 8.8% for the three months to the end of May, compared with 8.9% quarterly growth in April. But the national average value of 931,928, or almost 932,000, was still significantly higher than a year ago at 23.7% up. And that was a bigger gain than April's 21.4% rise. So where they're saying things are slowing down, it's just very marginal indeed. They go around and talk about a number of regions and again uh, about every fourth show here on Property Managers I talk specifically about growth within our region and growth uh, right down to the various um, cities, towns and so forth that are in the Manawatu-Wanganui area. Also this article on land from June 3rd, going back a little bit here, but it says here's where New Zealand's most expensive vacant sections are. So building a home might seem a cheaper option, but for the most expensive vacant sections in the country can still cost millions of dollars. The cost of a vacant section varies depending on which city it is in, its proximity to the central business district and the section size according to new data analysis from homes.co.nz. The data site said the most expensive sections in the country were in Auckland Central where the scarcity of land affected land value and in turn property prices. There were just 627 vacant sections within 5 kilometres of Auckland CBD which amounted to 0.8% of the housing stock. They had a median homes estimate price of $1.75 million. Imagine spending that. Just before even popping a spade in the ground to start your new build. And the median value of vacant land in Auckland CVD is not too dissimilar to the median value of homes, according to Homes Chief Data Scientist Tom Linton. He said a, a section in Bassett Road in Remuera sold for $4 million in November last year. The latest Real Estate Institute data has the median house price in Auckland City at £1.32 in April. That highlights how much of Auckland's property prices are tied up in the land, with much of the value of a home found in the land value, he said. The median home's estimate price for vacant sections in Auckland got cheaper the further away from the CVD. For sections between 5 and 10 kilometres from the CVD, the median was 951000 then the ten to fifteen k mark, uh, which includes suburbs like Massey, Henderson, Tetharangi, Mangiri and uh, pakaranga, is around that seven hundred and eight thousand incredible isn 't it really incredible and that 's where I guess a lot of the difference between Auckland and the regions is tied up in that land value so that's uh you'd think that that sounds like quite a lot of sections in fact, there were three thousand three hundred and forty nine sections for sale in the 10 to 15 kilometres from the CBD bracket Uh, yet compared to the number of buildings we need to house people it's really not uh, cutting the mustard. So now we're going to, speaking of homes, we're now going to stop for a little bit of music. This is Daughtry with Home and you're here on Property Matters.
1: Tonight, Trying to hide the pain I'm going to the place where love and Feeling good don't ever cost a thing And the pain you feel's a different kind of pain It remains true And I don't know why You always seem to give me another try
0: Daug with Home. You're here on Mun or Two People's Radio. This is Property Matters with Greg Watson. Mun or two Property Radio. So it's Mun People's Radio, Tereo, ngi, or Natangata or Mano 2. So lovely having your company. We're moving on from comments about the market now. We're going to look at tenant and landlord related matters. And this first one is really a bit of a word of warning for property managers out there and for private landlords. This article was in the Timaru Herald. Property manager ordered to pay compensation for not filing bond. It says a South Canterbury property manager who has been accused by her tenants and clients of failing to lodge bond and pass on rent money has been ordered by the tenancy tribunal to pay compensation for not lodging a bond. In a May 31 ruling, tribunal adjudicator R Armstrong ruled property manager Amanda Gray had plainly committed an unlawful act in not lodging the bond for a rental on Waiti Road and ordered her to pay the tenant $250 compensation. The ruling said that the tenant paid the $1,560 bond to the landlord on January ninth, 2021, which was the first day of the tenancy, but Gray did not lodge the bond with the Bond Centre until May twenty fifth. Armstrong said Gray lodged the bond well after the time it should have been lodged and the tenant asked her several times to produce evidence that she would lodged the bond, and approximately a month after this, the application was filed. The maximum penalty for not lodging a bond is $1,500. Because the bond has now been lodged, I'm making an award towards the lower end of the range, Armstrong said, but this business caused a tenant a considerable amount of stress and inconvenience that ought not to have happened. Grey has not offered any explanation for the delay in lodging the bond. And Grey did not attend the hearing. Uh, This lady has been as part of a wider situation and uh, where there's quite a number of people, to my understanding, who are um, looking for what's happened to their bonds, etc., uh, in November of 2019, Gray was ordered by the Tenancy Tribunal to pay $600 compensation to a tenant for not lodging your bond, as well as $2,500 uh, at that time. In May 2021, at least two of the people who spoke to staff and raised concern over bond, pay- bond payments not being lodged and rent being passed on said Gray had paid them back. So a bit of publicity, it looks like uh, maybe there's some resolution there for some people. This article here, um, fairly alarming headline, nearly half of homes are damp and mouldy. This is by Miriam, Miriam Bell and Stuff. About 28,000 homes in New Zealand are always damp and have visible mould, a report says. Homes with damp carpets, mouldy curtains and draughty windows, bedrooms below 10 degrees Celsius and families sleeping in the lounge to stay warm are all too common, a healthy housing advocate says. Sustainability Options co-owner Nick Gregg said people, Kiwi, as people Kiwis were a hardy people who had grown to accept that being a nation of wooden tents was okay but it's not. When you have 87,000 people going into hospital because of respiratory conditions many of which have come about due to living conditions it's not acceptable he says. Gregg who works with the Ministry of Health on its Healthy Homes Initiative said too many renters and homeowners lived in homes that were substandard. He said that reality was reflected in the new report commissioned by the Warehouse which revealed 46% of people lived in homes that were damp and mouldy. So the report, which surveyed 1,002 people, also found that more than half, 57%, had issues related to mould, dampness, heating and insulation in their homes. Those issues included such problems as the presence of mould, poor or no insulation, gaps in floorboards, walls or windows, no heating in the main living area or bedrooms and no hot water. Important to take a pause at this moment and note this is all people, not just tenants. Landlords have obligations around these sort of things, uh, but certainly this is just the the findings in this particular report. It says that condensation was a big problem with 37% reporting regular condensation on windows during winter and 29% needing to remove water from their windows daily. It says the situation was worse for young people and renters. 65% of people under the age of 35, many of whom would be living in rental properties, reported they're living in homes that had issues with mould, damp, heating or insulation. Renters were twice as likely to report the presence of mould in their homes as homeowners were twice as likely to rate their home as not being warm or dry or as having efficient lighting or heating. That's understandable. 21% of renters reported the presence of mould in their homes compared to 11% of homeowners, for example. Greg said the survey findings echoed what they saw every day as they tried to improve the housing conditions of the most at-risk families. He says we need to change the culture around our poor housing condition and that starts with people sharing their experiences and getting help to address issues like condensation, which is a symptom of a broader problem, and heating. Often, simple strategies such as a blast ventilation systems where windows are open for 15 to 20 minutes during the warmest part of the day could be employed to help, he said. One rental house he visited recently, the eight tenants were making extensive use of the shower to create some warmth, which resulted in condensation and mould, he said, which is quite an amazing way of doing it. They so must see uh, some pretty extremes. Following a conversation with the landlord, an extractor fan was installed. In the bathroom, the tenants committed to opening and closing windows and the problem was alleviated. So that's just a little bit about that. Uh, That particular survey uh, done by the warehouse of 1,002 people, quite how accurate that is and where it was taken, uh, I can't comment on. Normally when you have a sample size, that size, it's fairly accurate. It does depend a little bit on the wording of the questions and where those people live. And that's all we've got time for this week on Property Matters. It's been lovely having your company. I really appreciate it. You can find this show every Tuesday on Mpr.nz on the website, mpr.nz, or where all good podcasts are found under Property Managers. Uh, property Matters, I should say. Property Matters. And I'm Greg Watson. It's been lovely having your company. Have a great week.